Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. We have uh, two very special panelists. Uh, uh, we've spoken to them before, but they are always full of uh, incredible information that our veterans need to hear, and you and the general public need to hear as well. So our first person is Brent G. Filbert. He is a Pentagon retired 30 years U.S. Navy veteran, professor, and clinical director for Mizzou Veteran Clinic of the University of Missouri School of Law. We also have a Dr. Amy Bolton Baby, and she's a psychologist with years of experience working with rural veterans who currently examines and treats veterans in Tennessee. And their discussion today will be involving treating veterans in rural areas. And our our veterans, when they come back from combat, when they come back from service duty and go back into the rural community, we cannot... Uh, afford not to uh, hear them and not to know that they're there and they need our help. So I am honored to have both of you on uh, today. So um, who would like to start, Brent or Amy? (laughs) Um, I'll go ahead and start. Um, So um, we have a great uh, treat today because in the past when I've asked um, guests to come on the show, we've had people in different areas uh, with different uh, backgrounds and, and specialties uh, today we have Dr. Beebe, who is a clinical psychologist who um, is actually involved in the examination um, and diagnoses of, of veterans, and in particular, a large part of that is rural veterans. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought it'd be great to have somebody come on who um, really has uh, dedicated a significant part of their career to um working with veterans who have mental health issues, which is a very unique um, thing to do. And the rural veterans have their own unique um, uh, challenges and mental health um, aspects that are different than veterans in other parts of the country. So um, I'd like to welcome Dr. Beebe uh, to the show. Um, She um, has a tremendous background and also is, is, uh, quite honestly, is a good friend. So um, she has both those things going for her. So, um, (laughs) So, that's, so that, I just wanted to introduce Dr. Beebe, and um, maybe if we could uh, ask her about um, her background generally, uh, how she became a clinical psychologist, and you know, what does she do in terms of working with uh, America's veterans? Oh, well, as soon as I open my mouth, you'll know I'm from rural Arkansas. So, uh, <laughs> Sounds beautiful to me, my, music my, <laughs> to my ears. <laughs> and, my PhD, and my PhD is from the University of Southern Mississippi. So I, I can't get any more than that. Um, but I, and, and not to, to try to correct, uh, correct Brent or anything, I actually started out uh, working with children. I spent 20, 25 years as a child and adolescent therapist before and did a lot of forensic work in that in that area before this kind of, and I say, fell into my lap. And I discovered that there's not a whole lot of difference between veterans and child and adolescent because I, <laughs> I am still dealing with people who don't want to talk about their issues or don't have the words for it. 
to put with the feelings and are scared to death they're going to be crazy. So it was actually an, a, an easy transition to go from child and adolescent to veterans, not not to, to, to put down the veterans or anything, but again, it's dealing with a population that just doesn't have the words always to go with what they're feeling and, and very guarded and protective of their emotions. Oh, so, yes, yes. So, and, and I, I also, I don't do the treatment, otherwise I wouldn't have time to do all the exams. And I've done probably over tw- over 2,000 exams, CMP exams for mental health for veterans over the years. Oh, my goodness, 2,000. <laughs> That's a tremendous <laughs> number. <laughs> well, wow. if I don't have veterans to see, I get to go fishing. So I haven't had to, to drown worms. <laughs> I haven't had much of a of a chance to drown worms over the past few years. <laughs> but what, what, what do you find? Do you find it's uh, more difficult to treat veterans in rural areas than, you, let's say, that you were in a major uh, city, you know, uh, Chicago or, you know, um, you know, in L.A. or those those kinds of things? Well, actually, I, I, it's hard to say. I, I'm in Memphis, which is it, not a Chicago or an L.A., so I, mm-hmm. I really don't have a lot of the the really urban big city stuff to to compare to because the majority of my veterans come from because of the uniqueness of where Memphis is I pull from Arkansas Mississippi and Tennessee which you know outside of Memphis Nashville Knoxville Chattanooga some of those other places we're in the middle of the you know of the sticks still and so um, the challenge is to to get because as as country folk, so to speak, rural, we tend to be um, more self-reliant and not wanting to talk to people or, or rely on people to, to for help. And if we ask and the answer is not right, and you get, it, it, you know, it, you don't ask again. Oh, right. You know, you just say the heck with it and go take care of it yourself. So it's mm-hmm. and a unique challenge for anybody, rural or urban, is it, mental health because there's such a stigma with that. And it's generational, but rural, uh, um, Brett and I were talking about this earlier, we tend, and I say we, even though I live outside of Memphis, I still grew up in the middle of a rice field, so uh, so I say we, um, just don't have the exposure. And with exposure, and it's all there, have access to the same services that veterans in Chicago, <laughs> New York, Los Angeles would have, and without that exposure to see how the process goes, very reticent to experience it, you know. And that's that's what that's what those city people do. We rural folk don't do that, you know, kind of stuff. Yeah, and it, so- it sounds like you know that first encounter is really critical, you know, uh, when someone is coming in because if I if they uh, get turned down the first time, they may, may never resurface again, right? From what you're saying, yeah. Well, if they get turned down or have a bad experience with an examiner, and another right. thing is that before this, Brett and I were talking about, that a lot of veterans don't know or understand if they walk into an exam and if for any reason they feel they are being minimized, disrespected, not their their concerns are not being addressed, they can get up and walk out, call the company, no harm, no foul. And that's if it's a third-party contractor or at the VA. Now, you can't throw, you can't get up, throw the table and walk out, no harm, no foul. But you can, no, you don't want to do that. You can get up and leave and call the company and say, I, uh, no, send me to somebody else. Because, you know, there are times that you just can't make that connection and it's through nobody's fault. And it just, you know, and if you feel like you're batting your head against the wall, they can leave. 
Yeah, because, you know, I did a couple of tours in uh, Iraq, and I remember, you know, from the first tour when I came back, uh, that the uh, person, uh, there was a, uh, you know, a staff sergeant that came in. We had 300 people, you know, shoulder to shoulder in a room, and they looked at us, and he walked in, and he said, okay, um, is, does anyone have any mental health problems here? Anyone crazy in this room? And, of course, a few people raised their hands, <laughs> and that was our psychological screening coming back in. And they said, well, if you want, if you do have a problem, you're going to have to stay here for a month or two. <laughs> and we were like, out of here. Exactly. <laughs> and no problem. That was our screening. <laughs> yeah. So, Dr. Beebe, that, that raises a, that's a question that I think um, yeah. I wondered if you see that, where when you're examining veterans, it's because um, – You've been asked to do that by the VA, you know, uh, via a contract. Um, but how common is it to see veterans who are um, out of, obviously out of service who are having mental health issues, um, and that's why you're examining them, but in their actual medical service records or, or military records, there's no indication uh, whatsoever that they were having mental health problems. That, oh, that, 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 that is that is more common. That, that is more the rule than the exception. Mm-hmm. A lot, and it's it, from Vietnam era on, because just what um, and I forgot what your name is. Oh, host. I'm oh, so sorry. Oh, Dr. Ernest. Sure. Oh, sorry. Oh, I got the colonel part, but I, 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 after <laughs> colonel, I blanked. Oh, that's fine. so sorry. <laughs> Oh, well, see, you know. <laughs> but um, because of what you just said, they are disincentivized to have any complaints when they come back from combat. Because if you have complaints, they have to be addressed, which means you stay on base. You don't get your leave. You don't go. You, you don't get out. You don't get to see your family. It has to wait till that be addressed. And then coming out of Vietnam, there just wasn't any of that, you know. And I was... Oh, it's been several years ago I was in a training or something because when Vietnam veterans left, they sometimes had their records with them, and they would go and read those on the plane on the way home, and anything that was unfavorable, they would pull out and kind of hide. But on those pages where they, well, if they had a problem with, you know, venereal disease or something, they didn't want that going back home with them. Uh, But on those pages, they would also pull out things that were necessary for their claims 20, 30 years later, but who knew? So sometimes it's like being an archaeologist in, in the records for these veterans to figure out, to find some hint, some clue of something so that we can do that service connection. Oh, fantastic. And, and what what would be a recommendation to service members as far as, um, you know, because some people who are still in service now, uh, and we have veterans, you know, that, uh, you know, approach you, but, um, as far as their medical records, you know, maintaining those or making sure they document things, uh, how important is that? That is, uh, well, because the VA requires a level of proof for forensic exams, which are what CMP exams are, mm-hmm. that is not required in regular clinical or treating exams, then it's, it's pretty vital to have some kind of crumb trail of something that happened in service in order for examiners like myself to be able to prove it occurred in service. So usually the ETS exams are the best place to do that because you're getting out, so it doesn't matter what, what. But if you've ever had trouble, any trouble with sleep or any physical issue, put them on, put it on that. So even if there's nothing in the, the records where, you know, you 
didn't have treatment, at least it's on that that legal document in the ETS exam or the separation exam or retirement exam. Right. Yeah, because, they, they, you know, I guess when we were being uh, brought back stateside, you know, you did have to go through and, you know, fill out questionnaires and those kinds of things. And, and people should – yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Post-deployment health assessment. Everybody yeah, just runs through and goes, no, 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 no. Yeah, yes, right. And that's probably not the best thing to do if you really have something <laughs> happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I do think um, I would tell any veteran any, or anybody getting out of service, um, you know, I, it can be difficult uh, when you're in service. But if you can get if you can make a copy of your medical record and have it in, in, when you leave service, um it can save you a lot of problems down the road because it's amazing how many cases we have at the veterans clinic where one of the biggest issues is there are no um, medical records from the from the service or the the, the military records are really just um, either stripped or gone. I mean, I have cases right now. Um, I have a Vietnam veteran right now where there's there's not one military record of his service, and um, he served two wow. tours in Vietnam. Um, wow. So that is a big issue. Um, so, um, so I wanted, if you don't mind, I like to ask Dr. Beebe the, oh, the um, sure the um, the examinations you do, and and then how are they used by the VA? We often talk on the show about disability compensation, where veterans been injured in service have some, you know, for you a mental health issue, um, and they're trying to get some disability compensation for that because that's that's what their right is. Um, and that's the promise they were made uh, when they served. What um, what happens to your exam, uh, and how is it used by the VA uh, once it's done? Um, my understanding, because once I send it, I'm, I, I don't get to track it. it it's the the VA says this is one of many, you know, that they use to make the determination. Many factors plus service records, plus treatment records, if there's a VA or private treatment records, lay statements, it's all part of that. But our exams require the documentation to be listed and to provide, that's what the VA calls the nexus. Now, to me, the nexus is that big chain in the neutral zone on Star Trek. So I had to learn that whole <laughs> new term. So, but, to, but to be able to draw the path from started in, was incurred in service, and has maintained to date. So um, if that is written well, then that really combines all the information that an examiner would have of the records and also in one little tight bundle. But the VA can also has access to other records and information that, um, to use for that claim. Fantastic. But I don't know what that is. They just say they do. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, I remember being in uh, the military and, you know, and it would happen both, uh, you know, on drill times and, and also, you know, when you were uh, going for your, um, you know, duty for like a two-week, um, you know, training. Uh, and then overseas, even in Iraq, you know, uh, that uh, line of duty statements, how important are those? And, you know, it doesn't seem like they're not really taking that seriously when uh, something happens and that those, those are really required to be filled out by, you know, military rules. And uh, I don't see them being filled out. So, you know, where do those fit in? Is that a question? I, I don't see those statements very often. I have I, I know what you're talking about, okay. but uh, – 
that is a rarity if I find one of those in the records that the VA sends to me. Brent, you can right. probably so do I, that better. Well, I'll just, I'll just say it's a great question uh, because um, those line of duty determinations, um, if they're in the records, can be extremely helpful for verifying that there was an injury or some event, and, there could, and that could be um, physical or mental, uh, mental health or whatever. But um, I think the common experience is, is that they are, are not taken that seriously and um, often not done or not completely uh, done. But I've seen them. I actually uh, had a case um, of um, a veteran who injured his leg, and they did a line of duty determination. I was I was like really amazed <laughs> from from my perspective trying to trying to connect the injury to his service. It was great, but um, uh, but it's pretty rare, and um, I think that's that's my experience. Yeah, because I think people need to pay more attention to that, especially it's, it's really at doing a disservice to veterans if, uh, you know, even in a combat zone, if you have someone who's, you know, been uh, severely injured with a TBI or, you know, um, been rollover or, you know, actually has been um, lost a limb even, you know, th- th- that should be completed by the commander and, you know, by making right. sure that that's done. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so you know, how, in the rural areas, what what do you think needs to be done? What, what do you think that we need to be uh, stressing more, you know, to help our veterans? Uh, I mean, I was brought to tears about one veteran who was in southern Illinois, and uh, he actually um, had lost, um, you know, both of his arms and uh, his right leg, and uh, he was really in a really severe uh, combat uh, zone injury. So he had some coverage, but it really wasn't enough. He was a farmer, so he had to get out onto the farm and actually had to work on things, but he couldn't do it. So his wife was working uh, two and a half jobs, right, trying to support the two of them. And it was just like he was just floundering. And I just, I mean, it brought me to tears uh, to see uh, someone in that kind of uh, situation. So, you know, how can we help our veterans in the rural areas, and what what do they really need uh, for you know, our legislators for the government to understand that these uh, services need are needed there? Well, one of the things, that, one of the positives out of COVID and the pandemic and the lockdown is that the VA has eased up and is now utilizing telemed so much more than, than before. And with that, that means these veterans have access to somebody to help them at least know what their benefits are. Another thing, too, is the CHOICE program. The CHOICE program but with the VA means that veterans can use their VA benefits in their community with providers that will accept the, the same payment and rate as they would if they went to the VA. So that's helpful. And the VA has, and, and it's not like I don't want to sound like I'm tooting the VA's horn, but they are making some progress. Yeah, good. <laughs> well, yeah, with, yeah. Built, with doing these community out, community-based outpatient clinics, which is also very helpful because for rural veterans because these clinics tend to be staffed with people from the community, which is good and bad for rural. Good because you, you know and you can trust these people. Bad because one of the rural things is everybody knows your business. You know, they know if you went in or out or they have that. You know. but, but one of the best things has been um, the telemed part. But when you have a veteran from southern Illinois, like you said, access to to um, mm-hmm. treatment, to help, to assistance, to services, 
it's just so much less, and that requires the VA to get creative, and they really don't know how to do that. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we're out of time, but we have got to have the two of so you sorry. back. This is such a great note, but this is such a great topic, you know, but maybe you can give us, uh, you know, just one place that they can go to to find out about uh, the services you have, a phone number to call, and then uh, we're going to have to have you back again uh, because uh, this is such a critical issue. And uh, as I said, you know, it makes my heart bleed every time I see a veteran uh, in the rural area not getting the services that they re- uh, require. Uh, I will tell you if I have time, one of the best resources, mental health-wise, because I only know mental health, okay. is the in-transition program. And it's a military DOD program. And it's if you go to P, Papa Delta, pdhealth.mil, mm-hmm. and click on the in-transition program, they have 24-7 coaching, not emergency stuff, but okay. coaching that actually helps veterans access their mental health benefits if they're out of medication how to get it how to how to do all kinds of access to mental health from where they are and their coaching is peer-to-peer so you're talking to somebody that's probably been there done that similar to you but it's pdhealth.mil thank you very much thank (laughs) both of you i really want to thank you brent and uh and amy because you have done uh phenomenal jobs for our veterans so we are so happy what you're doing for our veterans in the rural community Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.